with your host, Coach Danielle McCartan. You can follow her work on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. How is everybody doing out there? Uh, you're listening to 60 Minute Overtime, episode 3 for fall 2016. Uh, we have a lot in store for you today. I have a lot in store for you today. The Giants are playing right now in London, England. Uh, I believe I'm trying to get the. I'm a little late because I'm trying to get the live stream up of the Giant game, but this computer is way outdated in, in the studio here. So uh, my understanding is that it is 10-10 at halftime. Uh, I believe the Giants just scored before the half on a 44-yard, I believe, interception by uh, the safety, Landon Collins. That's what I think I heard on the way in. Uh, other than that, all I know for sure is that it is 10-10, Giants and Rams from Twickenham, I think it's called, Stadium in London. So uh, if I can get this up for you guys uh, and I can watch live, I can give you some live updates as soon as they come available. Uh, first up for today is the MLB playoffs. The uh, World Series is set, everybody. Last night, the Cubs beat the Dodgers in the National League Championship Series at Wrigley Field. And let me tell you, the fans at Wrigley Field were rocking. They were hanging on to every single pitch from the first inning through the ninth inning. Uh, I believe the final score was, was it 5 nothing or 6 nothing Cubs? Uh, the Cubs have an erratic offense. You know, the game before this, I think they scored 10 runs, and prior to that, it was very minimal. Uh, but they did win the series four games to two over the Do- L.A. Dodgers. Uh, Hendricks, he was the pitcher for the for the Cubs. He's, I think they said he's 26 years old. The guy threw a gem. He two-hitter, 88 pitches. He was taken out with one out in the eighth inning. Um, towards the end of the game, there were pans of fans. You know, the, the camera panned to the stands. People were young and old. People were praying. People were crying. People were hugging each other. Young and old. Strangers, or they knew each other. Um, and uh, Anthony Rizzo, the first baseman in the post game, yeah, he caught the last out. The last, the last uh, play was a double play, and he's the first baseman. And, and they asked him, the, I forget the interviewer, but he still had the ball in his back pocket, and he took it out and he said, "I'm going to sleep with this ball tonight, or this thing tonight," is what he said. And the crowd just like erupted. So, I mean, the World Series is set. It's a likable World Series because it's featuring two teams: the Cleveland Indians from the AL and the Chicago Cubs from the NL who really haven't really been to the big dance often and and for a while. So I think this is going to be a very, very likable World Series. Um, It's not the usual teams, obviously, clearly. Um, And that was like the big thing with with the crowd last night, how they were getting so into the game because they haven't seen uh, meaningful baseball in the Chicago Cubs land area for uh, a very, very long time. And I, I looked up some stuff for you guys. So the last time the Indians made the playoffs was in 2013. And they exited. They were done after the wild card, which is the first round. The last time the Cubs made the playoffs was last year when they were beat by the Mets. And then the Mets, by winning that series, went to on to the World Series. Second fact, the last time the Indians were in the World Series... 1997 versus the Marlins, and they lost. The last time the Cubs were in the World Series, 1945 versus the Tigers, and they lost. That's 71 years ago. 
ESPN put out a graphic, and uh, it's on my phone, but I'm streaming live on Periscope at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N if you want to see me. But the graphic that I was studying in a little bit, the graphic that ESPN put out last night was like things that were not around 71 years ago. The entire franchise of the Los Angeles Dodgers, whom the Cubs just beat, Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, Color TV. I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. Those are the, those are like the main things that kind of stuck out to me. Um, if I can uh, maybe stop the stream or, or pick it up on my laptop, I'll give you some more later. But, I mean, it's been 71 years since the Cubs have made it to the World Series. And the Indians, now total series titles, I think in, in Yankee land over here we're a little bit spoiled. <laughs> Because we have 27 World Series championships, but the Indians have two, 1920 and 1948. The Cubs also have two, 1907 and 1908. So, uh, the Cubs believe in a curse, just like the Red Sox believe in the curse of, of the Bambino, of, of um, Babe Ruth, how they traded him to the Yankees and you know haven't really won since, or once or twice since, but... That was that's a big uh, superstitious thing up in our area. So the Cubs also have one. It's called the Cubs Curse of Billy Goat. So the story goes that in 1945, which was the last time the Cubs made the World Series, Billy Goat Tavern owner, guy's name was Billy Cianis, the guy was asked to leave Game 4 of the 1945 World Series because the smell from his pet goat, who was with him at the game, was bothering other fans. So can you imagine that? You're sitting there with your pet goat. Someone taps you on the shoulder and they say, your goat stinks, you have to leave. It's in the World Series. And I'm sure the guy didn't take, uh, this Billy Cianis didn't take, or or he took a lot of offense to that, and he exited the stadium, and uh, the quote goes, you know, translated from, passed on from 1948, the quote goes, them Cubs, they ain't going to win no more. And then the Cubs, since then, have not been back to the World Series. So, do you guys are you superstitious? Who knows? But uh, there were signs all in Wrigley Field last night. The curse is broken. Um, Clayton Kershaw is over. Something like that's their pitcher. So uh, the game one, <coughs> game one of the World Series is slated or set for Tuesday, which is in two days from now, October twenty fifth. At 8.08 p.m. on Fox. And that game is going to come to you from Cleveland, Ohio. So speaking of baseball, you guys might have missed me last week. I'm very, very sorry. However, I have new content for you. Don't worry. I Last weekend I was in Washington, D.C. Um, you know, my... my uh, my connections with uh, Joke uh, Qualiano and MintPros have been um, really quite extraordinary. The guy's a great guy. He sponsored a booth, a table, at the National Italian American Foundation's Expo, which was last Saturday. And um, among other things that I was doing there, I, I did help out and at the at the table. And so he did it with his company, uh, Mint Pros, and in conjunction with FIBS, which is the Federazione Italiana Baseball Softball. And their representative there was Marco Landi, who is a very, very great guy. And uh, at the, at this convention... At this event, you know, selling the stuff, we were selling T-shirts, which I am, if you guys are watching me, I am wearing mine, Italia Baseball. I'm wearing it right this second. 
very proud to ha- to be wearing this actually. Um, so it was a great event throughout. You know the uh, the festivities. There were um, I like when NEF has sports figures when they honor sports figures and invite sports figures to the conference because I don't know that's what I like. <laughs> uh, I'm very much into sports, and this year uh, I was able to meet Mike Piazza again. Um, he's a very very great guy, um, and also Franco Harris. Uh, he's the immaculate reception guy from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Anybody uh, watch me on Periscope from Pittsburgh? Franco Harris is really great guy, and I was actually shocked he remembered my name. You know, these guys meet you and they ask your name, and you're like, "Yeah, my name is Danielle." And then later on, I saw him again, and he called me by name, and I, I told him I was pretty impressed. And that is pretty impressive, I think so. Um, and uh, Franco Harris. I mean, those guys are two Hall of Famers, Pro Football Hall of Famer Franco Harris, and newly 2016 inducted Baseball Hall of Famer Mike Piazza. And that was Friday night, Friday and Friday night when I met those guys. They came to our booth on Saturday and took some photos behind the booth. I could tweet those out on my, my first little break here. Um, but Mike Piazza came by, Franco Harris came by, and uh, in addition, I was very uh, lucky to have been introduced by Joe to the manor- manager of Team Italy. His name is Marco Mazzieri, and uh, I was able to, fortunate enough, to sit and talk with him about the state of Squadra Italia, as you guys know, the 2017 World Baseball Classic kicks off in March. Uh, we talked about the players that are playing this year, and, and it's it's guys from Italy, from the countries, in addition to guys from the MLB who are of, for example, Italian descent or Dominican descent. And it's each country, each nation has a team, pretty much. And um, from uh, from for Team Italy from the United States... You got guys that are playing in the World Series. I mean, we have Mike Napoli, who was a Red Sox for a very, very long time, but he's going to be playing for Team Italy, and he's playing in the World Series next week. So I like Team Italy's chances, um, and and you'll hear in uh, in two seconds what Marco Mazzetti thinks. Um, but he also mentioned, and I got I guess my first scoop ever for really, but. He mentioned for the first time that Nick Punto, who's traveled, you know, he, he's played for many, many teams in the MLB. He played for Team Italy. And uh, Nick Punto will be joining the coaching staff of Team Italy. And as soon as he told me that, I kind of thought that was new information. And then I, you know, ran up to my room later on and I, and I Googled it. And, uh, yeah, that is brand new information. It is not in Google anywhere. So Nick Punto, you heard it here on 60-Minute Overtime, Danielle McCartan, for my interview with Marco Mancietti, manager of Team Italy. Nick Punto will be joining the coaching staff of Team Italy. So that's quite cool. So here's my interview with Marco Mazzietti. It's 6 minutes and 29 seconds long. Enjoy. Hey, I'm Danielle McCartan here at the NIAF Gala and Expo in Washington, D.C. with none other than the Squadra Italia manager, Marco Mazzieri. Marco, um, you're, you're here at this gala. A lot of people that are coming up to this table are almost saying to us, oh, we didn't know Italy had a baseball team. What do you say to people like that? Well, I think that is, is kind of a cliche, but uh, uh, every four years when we do play in the classics and, and especially uh, after we do so well, uh, we like to, to shock you know, people as, uh, as one of our motto was uh, before the classic in 2013, it was to shock the world. And, and I think by playing the way we play, in the classic, uh, we open a lot of eyes. So now you guys are ranked number nine in the world, above Venezuela and Puerto Rico, which are 
known powerhouses in baseball. Well, the ranking of the International Federation uh, consider uh, many different things. It's, it's not necessarily uh, how strong is the national team. It goes down to the junior leagues. Uh, how strong is the national team. It goes down to the junior leagues. Uh, position in the ranking uh, uh, is about. Uh, of course, uh, you know, all these teams that we're going to play in the Classic are, are very, very good teams and, and uh, from a talent-wise uh, point, uh, it's very difficult. But uh, we're confident. Uh, we, we've been the underdogs uh, for the last two Classics uh, and, uh, and we, we actually played very well and and uh, we were able to advance to the second round uh, four years ago. And we're looking forward to do that this time, even though we're going to be in a bracket with uh, Venezuela, Puerto Rico, and Mexico, which is very tough. But, you know, one single game, you can beat anybody. So uh, we just, uh, what's important for us is to be able to recreate uh, the energy uh, we had during the Classic in 2013, we had gate chemistry in the clubhouse, a lot of uh, veteran guys who mesh well with our guys coming from Italy, and that's what we're looking for for next Classic. So what is the impact of having uh, an Italian-American player from the MLB come and join the uh, Squadra Italia? You know, this is really strange and, and, and kind of funny to say, but uh, uh, my first Classic was in 2009, and uh, for some reason we were able to just create the right mix with this Major League Baseball player and, and some of our guys who, who do different things other than play, and, uh, and the, the excitement level was so high from both sides that uh, they kind of carry each other and they feed off from each other. And that's how we were able to accomplish what we did. So who do you have confirmed playing on the team this year from the MLB? Uh, I could confirm uh, Francisco Cervelli and Drew Butera will be our two catchers. Okay. And uh, Chris Colabello will be at first base a split in time, hopefully with Mike Napoli. Cool. Uh, if nothing goes uh, wrong, we should be able to have Mike as well. And uh, Johnny Giabotella, who's been a second baseman for the Los Angeles Angels, will be there. Pat Benditti, the, the ambidextrous uh, pitcher uh, who we had four years ago, will be back as well. And of course, some of the other guys we had, Thiago da Silva. And, and hopefully Jason Grilly as well. So you have uh, Frank Canonato on the bench as a coach. Uh, what has he been able to do for the, the team? Actually, you know, I love Frankie. Frankie's a great basketball guy. Uh, not to speak about how, how great guy he is. And uh, it's just, just so good to have him in, in the coaching staff. And, uh, and uh, I can tell you that we're going to have Nick Punto as one of our coaches. So that's going to be another great addition. It's, he was great uh, on his playing days with us. He loved being uh, with us playing for Team Italy. And uh, I know he's very excited about joining the coaching staff and he's looking forward to it. And, and uh, both of those guys, either Frank and Nick, will be a great addition because they bring major league experience. They have a lot of enthusiasm and they love being on Team Italy. Great. Now, um, the reinstatement we just found out of baseball into the Olympics, how will that affect your programs moving forward? Well, it's going to be a huge effect because uh, just consider this. 
non-Olympic federations in Italy share 10% of the public contribution from the government. Okay. Now, by being on on uh, the Olympic sports sites, you can get to share the 90% of those con of those uh, funding from the government. So it's going to be a huge difference, and uh, hopefully, we'll be able to accomplish. Uh, uh, a lot more things that we did in the past. So as manager, what are you looking forward to this, this coming World Baseball Classic? Well, again, uh, we're looking forward to, to compete and, and to show everybody that uh, uh, Italy has a good baseball team. And, uh, and uh, we're going to be looking to open up some more eyes and hopefully advance to the second round like we did. So we are going to be attending together in Brooklyn. It's the Italian-American Baseball Family launch party, launch dinner, uh, with a lot of the stars from past and present from uh -huh. the Italian team. Um, that's going to be in conjunction with uh, Joe Qualiano's Mint Pros. Uh, we're going to be at Carmine's in Brooklyn. Uh, what are your expectations for that event? Well, I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be great, uh, I think, just to be able to have so many players in, in one room and so many celebrities in one room all together and all of them being there to uh, help uh, Italian baseball program and just just great I mean it just tells you a lot about uh, Italian uh, the Italian family throughout baseball around the world and it's bringing awareness to the Americans of course there yes. and here in yes. Washington yes but we know we have a lot of fans here in the US uh, uh, every time we play uh, I get uh, uh, how you say witnesses uh, of of uh, how the Italian baseball team is loved throughout the world and especially here in the U.S. Great. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm Danielle McCarr with Marco Mazzari here in uh, in the NIAF Expo in D.C. Thank you. Thank you. Grazie. So as you can see, uh, Marco Mazzari is a very very great guy, very uh, calm, uh, well spoken, and uh, I was very excited that he gave me one of my. My first, like, real scoop. As you heard, you, he said it. Uh, and I didn't I, I didn't pry. He offered it, which is great. So Nick Punto will be joining the coaching staff of Squadra Italia. Marco Manzietti has a uh, great outlook for this season. If you'd like to see my entire write-up, I, I wrote a great, long, well-thought-out article on the state. I called it, uh, the title is, The State of Squadra Italia and World Baseball Classic with Marco Manzietti, manager. Um, you could download the interview there. You could watch the interview there. And uh, it, it's quite long. I, I talked about the current confirmed MLB stars playing for Team Italy. Uh, I went on to explain uh, the advantage of having Nick Punto as a coach and in the coaching staff. The World Baseball 2017 Challenges. The World Baseball Classic 2017 Outlook for, for Squad Italia. And the next event is my last paragraph. So the next event, uh, and you guys can check that out at uh, Pro Sports Rundown. Dot com, which is uh, my site, which is off and running. Um, so uh, I couldn't pack you in my suitcase to, to, to go to D.C., but I can offer you a chance to buy tickets to the next event, which uh, Marco Mazzietti and I will both be there, along with Joe Quagliano, uh, owner of Mint Pros, and Carmine Gangone, Gangone who is uh, the owner of, of Carmine's Pizza, which, which it's going to be at. So it's December 8th. 2016. It's in Brooklyn, New York, with uh, Joe Qualiano, Carmine Gangone, myself. Uh, but they have come together in a monster kickoff event for Team Italy, which includes confirmed guests Mike Napoli. He's playing in the World Series, like I mentioned. Marco Mazzieri, manager. Jason Grilli. Jason Grilli is a is a pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Chris Colabello will be there. 
He's also on the Blue Jays. Frank Catalinotto, <laughs> who's a former player, a current coach. Uh, Frank has been on a couple different teams, but for me, uh, he sticks out as a Texas Ranger for me. Uh, Francisco Cervelli, which means brains in Italian. I told my brother that once. He thought I looked it up. I said, no, I, I teach Italian in my, my day job. But Francisco Francisco Cervelli, Cervelli, he plays on the Pittsburgh Pirates. He was also a former Yankee. He's a catcher. And the headliner, though, Mr. Met Hall of Fame, Mike Piazza, will be the, the Hall of Famer at that event. It's December 8th in Brooklyn, New York. So if you guys want to come, that sounds interesting to you. There are plenty of others that are invited, not yet confirmed. Uh, it's like the who's who of Italian-Americans in baseball, quite honestly. Uh, everybody from Tommy Lasorda has been invited, Joe Torre, Joe Girardi, um, and I've been on here before saying saying all that. But if you go to mintpros.com, you could uh, you can cop some tickets to that. Uh, there's a cocktail hour and a dinner party. Uh, the Barra family will also be there. They're presenting the Barras with a number eight Team Italy jersey for the late, great Yogi Barra. Jonathan Hankins from the New York Giants. You're listening to 60 Minutes Overtime on 90.3 FM. So Jonathan Hankins is playing right now in London, and I was able to get just the ESPN uh, score up here, but the score right now from Twickenham, I believe it's called, Stadium in, uh, in, in London, England. Giants 10, Los Angeles Rams 10. We have eight minutes to go in the third quarter. The Rams are driving. They're about at midfield right now. And uh, I'll keep you updated. Any scoring plays, I'll keep you updated here. So, um, you know, if, if you haven't heard... There's a major, major current event going on in the NFL. Uh, it involves Giants kicker Josh Brown, and he's in hot, hot, hot water. Deservedly so. Uh, I'll start by telling you the facts. Okay, his name is Josh Brown. He has a wife, Molly Brown. Molly Brown told police that Josh has been physically violent with her for more than 20 instances during the past several years. In the police documents that were released Wednesday, Brown admitted he, this is a quote, had been a liar for most of my life, end quote. He claimed to have been abusive to women all the way back until the age of seven. He said, I objectified women and never really worried about the pain and hurt I caused them, end quote. He wrote that in an email. He said he viewed himself as God and that Molly, his wife, was his slave. In one journal entry, Brown wrote that he has, quote, physically, mentally, emotionally, and verbally been a repulsive man, end quote. And then sev several sentences later, he said he abused his wife. He also detailed his, quote, arrogant and manipulative thinking and possessiveness, end quote. And in another journal entry, Brown wrote that his wife filed for divorce because he was abusive. Duh. He listed losing his marriage and, quote, living with the reputation of an abuser as fears of his. The Giants re-signed Brown during this offseason. He he, they signed him to a two-year, $4 million deal. Now, the team has supported him, despite the arrest and allegations. Uh, Giants co-owner John Mara said in August now, he said, quote, I believe, all the I believe all the facts and circumstances, and we are comfortable with their decision to re-sign him, end quote. Now, to be fair, all of these journal entries and new evidence just came out Wednesday. So in August... Based on the facts, John Mara 
the owner of the Giants and the Mamre family and formerly, you know, the Tisch family also, but the Mara family is now uh, owner of the Giants. And John Mara says that they support their decision to re-sign him in August. Wednesday, more evidence comes out. They launch another investigation, a further investigation. Uh, and, and it kind of, my thought is, I wonder how much information that John Mara was given back in August. Was he made aware of this, these journal entries and these emails and this and that? Was he aware of that, or does he did he just make that statement based on what he was told uh, in the you know by the media, by people investigating it through the team? Uh, we're, we're never going to know exactly what John Mara knew back in August. However, new information has come out, uh, including the fact that uh, you know Josh Brown, first of all, is, is a Pro Bowl kicker, and every year the Pro Bowl is held in Hawaii. So Molly. Brown told police in Hawaii uh, that Brown invited her and her children to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii in January. He said that she would have a separate room. There'd be no conflict of interest there. But at some point, Molly Brown told police that Josh Brown showed up drunk and was pounding on her door to let him in. Molly refused to let Josh in and eventually had to call NFL and hotel security to get him out of there. Josh was escorted away from Molly's room, and the NFL ended up having to put Molly and the kids, which is important, because of the new policy, which I'll read to you in a minute, up in a different hotel room where Josh would not know where they were. The league suspended Josh Brown for one game without pay in August. He sat out week one for violating its personal conduct policy, and that was the Giants' uh, season opener. So that's the Josh Brown situation. I'm going to make a, a parallel. I'm going to draw a parallel to the Ray Rice situation, which has now come to the for- back to the forefront. Uh, fe- uh, February 2014, Ray Rice was and his uh, girlfriend at the time were arrested in Atlantic City, New Jersey, uh, and he had beat her in the elevator of Revel, which is no longer open. So news broke on February 15th of 2014 that Ray Rice and she had been arrested, charged, and released from jail on simple assault charges. February 19th, TMZ released a video of him knocking her cold in the elevator then and then carrying her over his carrying her over his shoulder out of the elevator uh, at that point the trial and the charges were upgraded but th- they got married in between there okay july 24th rice was sus- decided that he was going to be suspended two games by the nfl once the season starts up again uh, september 8th another video comes out from inside the elevator of him uh, i think it was a left hook right to the face and then he is suspended indefinitely from the nfl uh, November 28th, though, he appealed and won, and he was reinstated to the league, yet not signed. So we have a tolerance uh, in a way, this is what this is saying to me, we have a tolerance in a way for Ray Rice to be reinstated to this league, yet Josh Brown, it, the, the jury is still out on him. Now, after the Ray Rice interview, um, incident in 2014, the NFL did upgrade its policy. And uh, I tried to shorten it a little bit, but the the policy is as follows. Violations of the personal conduct policy regarding assault, battery, domestic violence, blah, 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 that involve physical force will be subject to enhanced discipline. A first offense, which is Josh Brown, if we can maybe see. But this is see, now th- this is where this is, gets money because this is a first offense over 20, 25, 30 years. Okay, so the first offense will be subject to a suspension of six weeks without pay. Brown got one week with pay. 
Mitigating circumstances will be considered, and a more severe discipline will be imposed if there are aggravating circumstances such as the presence or use of a weapon, choking, repeated striking, or when the act was committed against a pregnant woman, or in the presence of a child. So six weeks, and now we go back up to the Pro Bowl incident in Hawaii. Two children were in the hotel room while this was happening. So it's a minimum, in my eyes, of six weeks without pay. The second offense will result in banishment from the league. An offender may petition for reinstatement after one year, but there is no assurance that the petition will be granted. These disciplinary consequences apply to all NFL personnel, players, coaches, blah, blah, blah. Now, my point is this. Is there, we could take this two ways, is there a differentiation between a guy that is a good player, I mean, Josh Brown is a uh, Pro Bowl kicker. Is there a differentiation between a good player who does this and a bad player that does this? Is there an inherent level of tolerance for a good player? Whereas a bad player would immediately have been released. I looked up Josh Brown's stats. He has a career 83.9% of field goal accuracy. He's, he's, he's money from 50-plus yards. He's made 37 career field goals from over 50 yards. And he has a career long of 58. This season, he's made 100% of his extra points. And he has a 92, which is an A, you know, in teacher language. That's, he's got an A in field goal percentage. The guy's a stud on the field. Okay, he, he, Needless to say, he did not travel with the team to London. He is now on the NFL's exempt list. Meaning, it's a, it's a pretty, um, not cut and dry, but meaning they're going to make a decision about his roster status after reviewing all of the information. He cannot attend games in practice, but he is he is allowed to be at the facility in um, East Rutherford for meetings, workouts, therapy, you know. And he will receive his regular salary until a decision has been reached. Now, is there a differentiation between a good player and a bad player? We've heard Jose Reyes... Okay, he he got signed by the Mets. All the, you know, the reception wasn't bad. I mean, people were cheering for him when he was back in New York. Aroldis Chapman, he, the Yankee, well, he was a Cincinnati Reds player, traded to the Yankees. The Yankees signed him no problem. And actually, the Yankees traded him, and he just closed out the Cubs game last night, and people were erupting at every strike he threw. I mean, I know that's MLB, I know that's different, but in that case, there was a weapon involved in that. He he uh he used a gun in that case. But we're heralding these, these good players as heroes, which sort of bothers me. Because does that make it okay? Because he's a good player on the field? Does that mitigate or, or, or cancel out the terror that he is off the field? Now, SNY's Chris, Carl, uh, Chris Carlin, who has been on my show in the past... Um, he, I couldn't find the exact tweet to go back on his timeline, but he tweeted something to the effect of uh, criticizing the NFL on, on how could you wear pink. Everybody's wearing pink in the, in the month of October. Uh, how could you wear pink in October yet keep a guy like this in the league? Which I thought was, was pretty poignant. Right? So this this guy Josh Brown he, he clearly has psychological issues he clearly needs counseling just by the verbiage he used in his journal entries he's a god and his wife is a slave 
He terrorized that woman for 30 years. They are divorced now. But now what do the Giants do? Okay, what do the Giants do at this point in time? The guy's a good kicker. If the Giants cut him, it allows him to be picked up by another team, which we saw with Jose Reyes, which we saw with Aroldis Chapman. Granted, it was in the MLB, but but keeping him on the team and keeping him on the roster harbors a sense of tolerance for wife terrorizers. And living in the New York area for my whole life and growing up around the Giants and, and the Tish and Mara family, that's not what the Giants are about. That's not the Mara culture. So what do the Giants do? Hopefully the NFL will take that decision off their hands, okay? But hopefully Brown is, is not allowed to be instated into this in the NFL again, okay, even after an appeal. Okay, the guy's a terror to his wife, and he's setting a really bad example. You talk about Odell Beckham throwing tantrums on the sideline, all right? as a bad role model for kids. That's nothing compared to this guy who beats his wife. Okay? I think that's ridiculous. I think Josh Brown should never set foot at an NFL facility for as long as he lives. And if the Giants keep him, whew, there's going to be quite some backlash among Giant fans. A lot of pressure on the Mara family to cut this guy. But then again, it allows him to be picked up by another team. And a $4 million contract is not a lot you know, to another team that would, would like his services. I mean, he's 100% extra point this season and a 92 field goal percentage. Someone's going to want him. Someone is going to want to pick him up. So hopefully the NFL does its part in, in keeping this guy off the field for as long as he lives. Because he's, he gets suspended one game. Like, look at this. I, I'm a Jeff fan, right? So Josh Brown gets suspended one game for beating his wife. However, Tom Brady, which I'm a Jet fan, Tom Brady gets four-game suspension for maybe, probably, maybe, but probably, deflating footballs. Four games for deflating footballs, one game for beating your wife. So the problem that I have with the NFL and Roger Goodell is the inconsistency in which he hands discipline down. Right? Does that make sense? I think that makes crystal clear sense. And it's just not right. You have to stand up, Roger Goodell. You have to stand up and make a point that this will not be tolerated in your league. And until you do that, it's going to continue to, to happen. And your ratings... Your, your television ratings are going to continue to decline, which is a major problem in the NFL now. I think their ratings are down 10%. So needless to say, Josh Brown did not travel with the team to London. And uh, as far as I'm concerned, that guy should never be allowed to lace up cleats ever again. Ever again. And his poor family and his poor kids have to see this in the news every single day day now the other the other thing is did he know all of this information was going to become public did Josh Brown know in turning over his journal entries that this information was going to become public because if he did know then why did he turn it in 
So we also have to look at police protocol, too. How did this information leak out? And this happened, uh, he lives in the state of Washington. So I'm waiting for the Washington police to come out and issue a statement on something like that. How did this information come available to the media? How did it get disseminated across the world <laughs> like wildfire? And this is, well, I'll give you another update next week, but this is definitely a to-be-continued sort of situation. Um, lucky that the Giants are away, far away, as far away as they could possibly be, play a game this week because, um, you know, it, by leaving him here off the team flight and, and going somewhere else to play, I think the Giants, you know, kind of got out of it a little bit, out of the situation. I mean, this was late-breaking. Like, they had to make a decision within, I think it was three hours, if they were going to keep him on the plane or not. <laughs> Uh, you know, knowing all the information, processing all the information, and they had three hours, if I'm not mistaken. Three or less, we'll say that. They had three or less hours to decide if this guy was going to make the flight to London. And by leaving him here and everything here, the, you know, the Giants were in a very good situation. Now, I was convinced that the Rams were going were gonna to kill the Giants in this game. However, uh, the score is we're at the end of the third quarter. It's 10-10. Rams have the ball, it looks like, on the 30-yard line, 33, their own 33. Uh, they're facing a third and 13 uh, on a 28-yard drive so far. So they we're at the end of the third quarter. Now, my my uh, my thoughts on this game were, you know, the Rams left right from, I think it was Detroit. The last game that they had, the Rams left right from Detroit. Instead of going flying all the way to L.A. and all the way back across the country to London, they elected to leave right from Detroit. And they have been in London, in England, UK, much longer than the Giants, who arrived early, early, like early, early, Friday morning, like 4 a.m. Eastern time, Friday morning. Now, I've traveled abroad. I've traveled, you know, to Europe. I've traveled to the West Coast. It's just me. I, I don't adjust well to time changes, <laughs> like at all. For example, one time I we had gone to uh, L.A., California, on a Friday. We flew out Friday morning, and uh, Friday night we got dressed to go out and went down to the hotel bar for, for a drink and some food, and we looked at each other, and we were like, do you really want to go out? And No, no. And we ended up going back up to the room to go to sleep. So I'm, I'm curious to see what kind of schedule and regimen that the Giants were put on because I don't sleep on planes, and I'm sure not every Giant player sleeps on planes. What is the effect of the time change on the body clock? I mean, that's it, it's for me, it's quite profound. And to do it in a weekend, like that was my L.A. trip, was one weekend. I mean, it just sends you reeling, <laughs> quite honestly. So I was curious to see how the Giants uh, roster adapted quick more quickly than the Rams roster. And right now, it, it's pretty even. It's 10-10. So, um... Kind of, uh, kind of a non-factor, which I thought was a huge factor. See, when I pick my games, you know, I, I'm still in the knockout pool, the CBS knockout pool, survivor pool. When I pick my games, I never touch the London game. You never know what's going to happen in London. And I also try and stay away from West Coast to East Coast games, you know. But uh, this week, my lock of the week is... Mm, ah, do I say it? My, my, my lock of the week is the Atlanta Falcons over the San Diego Chargers. In Atlanta, I was debating between that game and the Cincinnati Bengals over the Browns in Cincinnati. Tyler Eifert, the tight end, is back. 
for the first time all season. He's playing in his first game today, and the guys, that guy's talk about money. Tyler Eifert is is the go-to man in the red zone for the Bengals, and they'll have him back. I just am a little leery about picking against the Browns. They're 0-6. How could they possibly never win a game this entire season? They, I, I don't think it's possible. I mean, what was the last team that won, won zero games in a season? I, I, I can't remember. I don't know. So I, th- the Browns are going to pull an upset. If it's not today, it's going to be soon. And, you know, I think, I hate to say it, but let me look up the Browns' schedule, upcoming schedule. The Browns are, are playing in Cincinnati today, right? And that's a league game. Then their upcoming schedule, they have uh, the 30th. They're playing home against the Jets. That might be a very winnable game for them, and I'll get into the Jets in a minute. Cowboys, not going to win. Ravens, not going to win. Steelers, not going to win. Giants, we'll see. And then they play the Bengals, Bills, Chargers. I think the best chance for the Browns to win is going to be next week versus the Jets. 1 o'clock. But see, I'm not willing to pick those games until they actually win a game. So my lock of the week is the Atlanta Falcons over the Chargers. The point spread, I think, was seven or eight points in that game. I'm going to go with the spread, and I'm going to go with the Falcons, who have also been emerging in the, uh, what are those things called, the um, the power rankings. Falcons have been emerging towards the top. So I'm going to go with that. That's that's my lock of the week. And uh, everybody, you can uh, watch Falcons. I think they're on at 4 or 4, 4.30 tonight. So I'm still in. There are 3,383 people still in from 25,000. The winner receives $5,000. Zero dollar entry fee. So, <laughs> I'm sitting pretty. I am still in. What would I do with $5,000? Who knows? I don't know. So, um, you know, I haven't really been watching the Giant game, but I've been listening on the radio to it. Uh, Giants, uh, the defense seems to be coming up with some some great plays, some great stops. I'm still waiting for Eli Manning and, and the offense to put up some points, uh, you know, offensively instead of kicking field goals. But Giants have one field goal and a and a pick six, an interception, return for a touchdown. So that's that's how the, the Giants have scored their ten. Uh, the Rams, however, have scored their ten. I believe it one was a touchdown pass. Uh, I don't really remember. We're looking at. I'm looking at total yards. Rams are killing the Giants. Turnovers. They're tied one-one. First downs pretty much equal. The Rams are controlling the clock for seven more minutes than the Giants. Uh, the betting line. The Giants uh, were the looks like underdogs, three-point underdogs. And they're playing in front of eighty-three thousand people. In it is. It's Twickenham Stadium. Okay, Giants just punted the ball, 46 yards, uh, return for 19 yards. So this is this game's going to go down to the wire. This might even end in, in overtime. Giants fans, both teams are at 3-3. Three and three. And I'll keep you updated for that. Uh, but the Giants defense is, is looking real stout down there, out there in London. And uh, JPP has uh, has been carrying the defensive line. Quite honestly, um, making he's, he ran 15 yards down the field to make a tackle. He just barely missed having an interception off a tip ball. So if the Giants' defense uh, is continuing to be playing you know, at this tight, tight level, the Giants will pull this one out. Can, and can you imagine 
if this comes down to a 50-yard field goal to win without Josh Brown. I have a feeling it's going to. It's going to. But we'll see. Muhammad Wilkerson, you're listening to 60-Minute Overtime on 90.3 FM. Now we're in week seven, seven already, of the NFL uh, season. Now the Jets are playing the Ravens, Baltimore Ravens at home, MetLife Stadium, 1 p.m. In East Rutherford, New Jersey. The Jets are 1-5. and five. The Ravens are 3-3. Three and three. Both teams are quite injury-laden. Uh, I wanted to see the injury report. It just, I haven't gotten it in my email just yet. But I do know that the Ravens uh, are looking at a couple different injuries here. Now, Jets-Ravens, I think the Ravens are going to win this game. But let's back up a little bit. Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jets quarterback that was held out. He held out for the contract at the beginning of the season. Uh, he ended up getting a one-year, $12 million deal. He was benched at the end of last week's game in favor of Geno Smith. Geno Smith played in the fourth quarter, a.k.a. garbage time. Okay, The Jets were well on their way to lose that game. Then they put Geno Smith in. He fumbled and threw an interception. He had a 66.7 completion percentage, which in uh, teacher language is a D. You get a 66.7 on a test, it's a D. And he had a grand total of 31 yards, one interception, zero touchdowns, and a 39.6 quarterback rating in garbage time. Might I emphasize that? Including a fumble and an interception. So here's where this gets a little crazy because after the game, Coach Todd Bowles commented something along the lines of that Fitzpatrick is still their number one. Then the next day he announced that Geno is going to be their starting quarterback for today's game. So what changed overnight? And how did it change overnight without even ha- I don't even think they had had practice yet. Now this was a stat I came across on the NFL Network. Listen to this. Listen up. First of all, and I've been on here saying that the Jets have had quarterback inconsistencies which have been a great demise to the, the complexion of that team. Okay, that's without saying. But listen up. 30, 3-0 quarterbacks have thrown 800 passes since 2013 for the Jets. So the benchmark was who has thrown 800 passes? Okay, 30 quarterbacks. Geno Smith ranks last in every major category out of those 30 guys. And that's from the NFL Network. Okay, he has 43 turnovers in 32 games in his Jets tenure and only 34 touchdowns. That's four years. 34 touchdowns in four years. Okay, provided that he's, he hasn't been the starting cornerback and this and that. But 43 turnovers in 32 games. Not even not even being a starting quarterback. Okay? This whole season, he's been he's putting these submersive... What's that word? Uh, subconscious, uh, submersive, immature tweets on Twitter. He's been throwing tantrums on the sidelines. He's been showing up... Fitzpatrick on the sidelines, the coaching staff, the the administration of the Jets. Last week, I think he told an ESPN reporter from the sidelines that he's getting antsy to play. Now, you can look at that two ways. 
the Geno supporters are going to look at it as, oh, well, you know, the Jets haven't been playing well, and, and he just wants to get out there and prove himself. And the Geno haters are going to say, yeah, but that's contributing to a culture, a, a divided culture. Now, is this locker room divided? Okay, so there's been an interesting change of events with Bowles talking about quarterbacks. Now, if you can remember, as I've talked on here, as I said on here, I even asked Eric Decker this. I asked Eric Decker, what do you do if your quarterback is not Ryan Fitzpatrick this season? He sighed, and he said they have, uh, they have trust in, in Chan Gelly's offense. Chan Gelly obviously being the offensive coordinator. So on October 2nd, I mean, the, the, first of all, this Jets core and the veterans on the Jets, including Nick Mangold, okay, he's one of the most beloved Jets, the center, Eric Decker, wide receiver, Brandon Marshall, wide receiver, they lobbied hard for Ryan Fitzpatrick's re-signing or in the offseason. Finally gets signed, and they put, like, this awesome picture up, you know, backstage, you know, in, in the the tunnels of the Florham Park facility, all happy that he, that he's back. You know, the four the four of them. I went to an event, Brandon Marshall's event. Mangold, Decker, Fitzpatrick, and Matt Forte all came together in the same car. Okay? So on October 2nd, in addition, on October 2nd, Brandon Marshall says, Oh, Giants just scored. So uh, Rashad Jennings just ran the ball in for a one-yard gain. The Giants just took the lead, 16-10. Now they have an 84% chance of winning this game, according to ESPN. So the Giants are in the red zone, 16-10. We are waiting the extra point, and it is good. 17-10 Giants take the lead with 9-23 left in the fourth quarter. Now on October 2nd, 2016, Brandon Marshall says, quote, I am going down in the boat with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Okay, you got it? Can you not ask me any more questions about it? I'm going down in the boat with number 14. End quote. Well, now that number seven isn't at the quarterback, what happens? What happens in the Jets locker room? I mean, I'm, I can speculate about Marshall's future with the Jets. Mangold is very old for his position. And Eric Decker, he's out with a, a surprise hip surgery before his shoulder surgery and he might not even be given a green light beginning next season, the 2017 season. He might not even be ready to go. So after one year, Fitzpatrick's going to be gone. After this year, Geno Smith will most likely be gone. He's uh, in his last year of his rookie contract. So for the rest of the year, Geno Smith is auditioning for a, a job pretty much elsewhere and that seems to be the consensus. It is. You can argue either way. But that's just what it is. Gino seems to be uh, definitely auditioning for somewhere else, to play somewhere else. Maybe Cleveland. He might be on his way to Cleveland. You heard it here first. October 23rd, 2016, on 60-minute overtime, I believe Gino Smith will be in Cleveland next year. So what happens? Fitzpatrick's gone. They probably won't re-sign him. Geno Smith is gone. What happens to guys like Marshall and Forte and Decker? Will they want to be out too? And, and what is going to be the situation on the field? Of course they have to be professionals. And Brandon Marshall had, uh, I saw on this morning, 
or last night, he had a. They asked him about Geno Smith being quarterback. You know, he had a professional answer. Basically, you know, I'm going to stand behind my quarterback. And that's really it. No elaboration, no nothing. So my question is, when can we give Bryce Petty a shot? When is it going to be Bryce Petty's turn? Okay, because NFL Network even included. Geno Smith is not going to last long. He'll get a game or two. Okay, what about Bryce Petty? That guy's been waiting in the wings for years. For years. So, let's give him a shot. And I talked to Bryce Petty, what's the date on this? May 16th of this year, the day before my birthday. And I talked to Bryce Petty, and, you know, he has made an incredible, incredible jump in in just field awareness. He's got a strong arm. He came from Baylor University. Uh, and, and he's been, believe it or not, the report came out that he's been studying and studying and studying by playing Madden. Which, if anybody plays Madden or knows about the football game Madden, I mean, it's like, it's actual football. I mean, cover two defense and, and, and blitzes and all this stuff. It's all real football. So that's a great tool. And hats off to him for, for utilizing the technology to do it. So last year, I'm going to play in a second. Last year, we talked about, you know, the last year to this year comparison. And I asked him about being number two, being the number two guy. Because at this point, May 16th, no one knew what was going to happen. No one knew Fitzpatrick was going to be back. He didn't sign until August. So at this point, on May 16th, Geno Smith was their number one quarterback. And Bryce Petty was their number two, followed up by newly drafted Christian Hackenberg, their number three quarterback at this point in time in May. Okay, so listen to what he says when I asked him. Um, And this is me, Daniel McCartan, and Bryce Petty, New York Jets backup quarterback for today. Every day you come in the locker room. So um, it's been an awesome learning experience for me last year. Uh, Excited about this year that, you know, last year was kind of like – I was just trying to keep my head above water. Oh, yeah. um, kind of overwhelmed with a lot of things. Yeah. So now this year, um, I'm comfortable with things. I, I, I know um, a whole lot more than I did last year. So right. you're ready to absorb it and rock right. and roll. And McCagnan said that you are going to be a quality number two guy this year. What are your thoughts? Do you have an opinion on that? Yeah, well, it, you know, number two is not my goal. I know. Uh, it's always, a, it's always know. a start. So, you know, for me, again, it's all about just coming in there and, and proving uh, to myself and everybody else that I can play in this league and be um, – Damn good one too. So you know that's what I want to do. And um, as far as the number one spot, number two spot, you know, to me it's just it's a process, and every day is trying to be better quarterback. And I know you're very good friends with Eric Decker. So you know this guy is motivated. There's no question about this guy's motivation. He doesn't want to be the number two guy. He wants to be the number one guy. Now, despite all this, the Jets are considered to be favorites in today's game. They're the favorites of today's game. And it's a one point, uh, one and a half point spread. Somehow. And that was the last I checked. That was late, late last night. Unless it's changed. But the Jets are a 1.5 point spread. Favorites. Okay, so spotlights for the Jets. Uh, players in the spotlight for the Jets. Number one, Geno Smith. We already talked about this. What is his preparation like? Because last week we didn't see much of it. We didn't see any production last week from him. So what is it going to be this week? 
And uh, what is the chemistry uh, he's going to have with the offense after one week of practice? Six days of practice. Timing routes, things like that. Uh, we, we know Geno Smith can throw the deep ball, so look for that today. They might take a chance with that. Uh, it's just Gino is just a very big question mark, and the Jets tweeted out this morning. I would be remiss if uh, if I didn't say this, but the Jets tweeted out this morning, and I I don't have it in front of me, but basically that uh, Gino Smith was perfect the last time he uh, he started, uh, and I'm, he had a, like a perfect uh, quarterback rating. I'm trying to find it real quick. Here it is: Gino Smith's last start, twenty for twenty-five. How do you only throw the ball twenty-five times a game? Uh, but 358 yards, three TDs, and a perfect passer rating. And I'm not sure what that who that was against, you know, in what context that game was. But that was his last start. So he's just a gigantic question mark for Jets fans and for the Jets. Uh, let's see, the injury report, I think the Jets just tweeted. Inactives versus the Jets for the Ravens will be uh, Terrell Suggs, which is huge. C.J. Mosley, huge. Marshall Yanda. Steve Smith Sr. is out. Well, with that being said, I uh, I do think the Jets might pull this one off. Uh, inactives for the Jets this week, Christian Hackenberg, Bryce Petty, Jeremy Butler, Darren Lee, which is a huge uh, hole in their defense. Muhammad Wilkerson is inactive. Austin Safarian Jenkins, tight end, they just signed him. Hey, what's, what's going on? Uh, we're talking Jets football here. Uh, that was just some somebody on uh, Periscope. Give me a shout out, and uh, Brent Quale, Quale, <laughs> he'll he'll be out. So uh, this is just going to be, in my opinion, a very extremely extremely sloppy game. Oh my God, this is going to be a messy game, <laughs> Jets versus uh, the Ravens. Also, the other player to watch for the Jets is going to be Darrell Revis. He's getting burnt deep at least once a game. Uh, at least once a game, he's getting burnt on the deep ball, like right over the top of him. So expect the Ravens, especially Joe Flacco, especially Joe Flacco, to take some ch- uh, shots down the field. Joe is a, is a Jersey guy. However, on the other side of that, he was also questionable until yesterday. So he's got a throwing shoulder injury, but he he is going to play today, clearly. Uh, but he set out two practice days this week. He practiced Friday and Saturday, and obviously he's going to be playing today. They just uh, beat the Giants last week in MetLife Stadium, and they're back this week for the Jets. So Joe Flacco with the with a, a shoulder injury. Darrell Reeve is getting beat deep every game so far, almost. That's going to be something to watch. That's that's my spotlight. But I do expect Flacco to take some shots, no doubt. No doubt. Um, but Steve Smith Sr. was questionable up until, like, game time. So who's going to catch the deep ball for them? I'm not really sure. Uh, so my spotlight for the Ravens was Joe Flacco, especially with the, the surgery, uh, shoulder injury. Uh, number two, my second spotlight will be how the Ravens contain Jets' Brandon Marshall. Um, the, the Ravens couldn't get it done against the Giants' number one receiver, Odell Beckham, last week. Uh, he finished with eight catches, 222 yards. Uh, Odell is uh, 
just comparing the size here, Odell is 5'11", 194 pounds, listed as. Marshall's 6'4". So what is that? Four, five inches on him. He's got five inches on Beckham and about 40 pounds. He's a 200, listed as 230 pounds, Marshall. So if, if the Ravens couldn't get it done against Odell Beckham, they're not going to get it done against Brandon Marshall. So expect Brandon Marshall to have a very big game today, provided that he can catch the ball. He's in trouble with the drops that he's been making. Um, but I do expect Marshall to have a big game. Watch him. And uh, third and final spotlight for the Ravens is going to be Terrell Suggs, who is out. He's the best pass rusher for the Ravens. He's out with a biceps injury. Suggs has five sacks this season. And then the guys in his place, playing in his place, there's three defensive rookies on the line. They have zero sacks this season combined. So it doesn't look like Geno's going to have much pressure on him. So if he doesn't get the job done... He should be out of a job. Let me say that again. Terrell Suggs is leading the team with five sacks. He's out. The three guys on the line, you know, sort of in place of him, have zero sacks this whole season combined. Combined. So that means Geno's going to have all day to throw the ball. And if he can't make any completions, oh my. And the Ravens are also, oh, I guess the Giants did beat them last week. The Ravens are looking to end a three-game losing streak. They have never lost four in a row under Coach Harbaugh. So they have not lost four games ever under their current coach. So uh, that's just setting the stage for the Jets today. Uh, Jet fans, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, I got some people that are just joining on. Uh, on uh, <laughs> someone said, "Yeah, Coach, but it's Geno." Yeah, I know, I know, it's Geno. Geno Smith. Uh, my pick of this game. I'm going to pick the Jets in this game. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm not betting on it because I didn't pick the Jets in my in my uh, knockout pool. But I think the Jets are going to somehow, somehow pull this one off today. I'm going to say let's go with the score of 17-14. Jets over the Ravens. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I think. And we'll see. What, we'll see. I could be totally wrong. That's, that's what I'm feeling. I've been pretty on point with picking Giants games this year so far. Past three weeks. So... Let's go with the Jets. I'm, I'm going to go with the Jets today at 1-5. They're going to surprise Ravens. Surprise the Ravens. Uh, someone keeps asking about the Knicks. The Knicks look good on paper this year. But uh, the Knicks have problems playing as a team uh, since Carmelo Anthony pretty much has gotten there. Listen, I love Carmelo Anthony. I think he's a great player. I just don't think he's a team player. <laughs> someone said, I'd buy you a Starbucks if they win. They, you guys see my Starbucks drink there? You're on. You're on. That's a bet I'll make on the Jets. I, I won't bet money on the Jets, but I'll bet, I'll bet a Starbucks drink. You're on. Tweet me. I can't see because the name is very small on here. So uh, tweet me uh, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. It's, it's online. And uh, if, the, if the Ravens win, I'll buy you a Starbucks. <laughs> so tweet me so I have your information. Because um, I can't go back on the comments when I, when I look at this. Um, what was I just saying? So the Knicks, the Knicks... Um, and unless they could play as a team, I mean, they look great on paper. Individually, they look great, great, great on paper. Playoff team on paper. So they have to find a way to play as a team. And if they do play as a team, they're going to be a force. But until then, under many, many years, uh, they, they haven't been able to. Now, oh, Case Keenum just uh, took a shot downfield in the end zone. 
Uh, Dominique Rogers Camardi picked him off in the end zone, brought it out to the two. Oh, no, it was a touchback. Penalty on uh, L.A. Uh, offensive holding, decline. Giants ball. Giants ball with four minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And Rogers Camardi has been come under, coming under fire. Uh, you know, he's been beat deep often. And that's a huge play for the Giants. Dominique Rogers Camardi just uh, hosted a bowling event. I couldn't make it out. I was, you know, working, but uh, he just ho- hosted a bowling event uh, in conjunction with Pat Capra, Lunar Sports. It was at Wallington Lanes. And uh, looks like he's turn- turning his career around a little bit. Uh, someone said we can actually win. Don't blow it, Eli. Well, I was at the the re- uh, Redskins game, and Eli blew it. Well, ESPN is uh, predicting a win percentage for the Giants at 90% to win this game at this point in time. Now, the Giants have three timeouts left. The Rams have three timeouts left. We are four minutes to go in the fourth quarter from London, England. Giants 17, Los Angeles Rams 10. So the Giants are first in, uh, first and 10. Should be on the 20-yard line at this point. Oh, they're at the 37. Oh, now it's second and 10. See, this doesn't this doesn't update uh, automatically, so it's really hard for me to, to keep track. I'm not watching it live. I'm watching, like, the stat cast of it. Couldn't get the Twitter feed up. But uh, let me see. Second and 10 and Giants 37, but it's also saying first and 10. So I'm not really sure what's going on in the Giant game. If anybody can let me know, if we can listen live. You guys want to listen live? Let's see if this works. Listening to ESPN LA Radio. First, of course, it's going to be an ad. Doesn't look like it's working. Let's see. We can call in. <laughs> Should we call ESPN LA? I don't hear anything. I'm not sure if it's just the ads problem. Okay, it looks like the Giants are going to be trying to run out the clock a little bit. Yeah, two-yard gain, second and eight. Yep, I see that. Rashad Jennings through left tackle for uh, for the Giants, 22 for two-yard gain. I don't know how they figure this out, but the Giants are now down to an 87.7% chance to win this game. Uh, Rashad Jennings uh, f- fumbled earlier, uh, and he you know he came up uh, empty-handed on a <laughs> on a uh, on a fumble. Turned it over to the Progressive Rams. Presents there we go. Mindfulness with flow. You are on a so, uh, so someone just tweeted me, Sue. Hey, Sue. She just retweeted my tweet, said, have a listen. Love this girl. She knows her stuff. Dang. With a lot of emojis. <laughs> I'm going to retweet that. Thanks, uh, Sue. Thanks for that. Do appreciate it. All right. Let's 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 see. Let's check back into the giant. I don't know why we're listening to the Rams. Uh, the Rams feed here. So Eli Manning on the day is 24 for 36 with 196 yards. Rashad Jennings, 13 carries for 24 yards. Oof, that's about two yards a carry, less than two. He's got a touchdown. Victor Cruz, five receptions, 55 yards. Those are their top uh, performers. For the Rams, Case Keenum, which I think is such a cool name, Case Keenum. 26 for 41 for 226 yards, one touchdown, but three interceptions. Todd Gurley, 15 carries for 57 yards. That's the running back for the Rams. And uh, I guess it's Tyler Austin is his name, T. Austin. 10 receptions for 57 yards and a touchdown. 
So if you play fantasy, hopefully your quarterback is not Case Keenum. <laughs> Let's see. This feed is not working live. ESPN Radio is not working, which is fine. I will... Uh, see if we can get the New York one. Let's see. I know I'm stalling a little bit, but I do want to finish this game on air. Let's see. Punt formation. Brad Wing. Oh, the Jets are on ESPN Radio New York. Um, Brad Wing punts zero yards? Uh-oh. What does that look like on TV? How do you punt zero yards? Zach Diossi was out of bounds. <laughs> ah, I wish I had a TV in here that I could watch this game. There's 3.03 left in the fourth quarter. Giants are at a 74.6% chance to win this game. With the way Case Keenum is playing, it's uh, it's pretty much over as far as I'm concerned. Rams have two timeouts and the ball. Down by seven to the Giants with three timeouts. Uh, if, if the Giants make it... a uh, defensive play here. This game is pretty much over and we can wrap this show up today. Uh, but I'm curious to know, um, you're very interactive on Periscope. What do you think about the Josh Brown situation? Should the Giants cut him or keep him? And let's see. Uh, oh, 50 yards. There it is. It updated. Brad Wing, a 50-yard punt. That guy is a machine. I've interviewed Brad Wing. I've gone to some charity events with him and I like him. I think he's a great guy, first of all. And I think uh, he does a lot of work, and, and I, I do like him, and I'm glad that he's doing well here. He is from Australia. So let's talk about an international series. We have a Giants with an, in, uh, with an Australian punter playing in England. And uh, they just said, kick him to the curb. Kick him to the curb. That's right. The problem is someone else might pick him up. And the guy's got great stats. So Case Keenum with the ball. First and 10 from the LA 25. This is the game. This might be a game. Now, people are tweeting about Case Keenum. He's had some nice stretches in his careers, but over time, he is not someone to rely on in the clutch. Doesn't that sound like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who has never made the playoffs? They're uh, paging Jared Goff on the sidelines. This sounds just like the Jets. This sounds just like the Jets. Jared Goff obviously was a first-round draft pick by the Rams, quarterback. Drafted, uh, I don't know if he was first or second, I forget. I think he was first, and then second pick was Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has been uh, lighting up the scene in, uh, in Philadelphia. I mean, That's a game I wanted to stay away from, too. The Vikings are playing against the Eagles. In Philadelphia. The Vikings are the best team in the league, arguably. They're undefeated. I wasn't willing to pick that game today. I wasn't willing to put any money on that game today because I think uh, Philadelphia has something up their sleeve, especially uh, under Carson Wentz. Now the uh, Rams are going with a no-huddle offense. Uh, passing complete short right to, to be quick. I'm just reading this here now. but uh, What do they have? Second and 10. Ball in the LA 36. Two plays, 11 yards drive for 24 seconds <laughs> someone just said I like your prediction about the J-E-T-S today I need a big game for Forte today see Forte has been struggling too because he can't I think his average carry per game is like you would know better than me for following him in his fantasy but I think his average carry per game is about 3 yards 
And I just can't stand how the Jets are using him so much. I know they brought him in to be a receiving back. I know they did. But I just can't stand how Jets quarterbacks, and, and we'll see. I'm going to look for this from Geno Smith today, too. Look downfield first. Like Fitzpatrick, his first choice has always been the running back pretty much this season. Target the wide receivers. That's what they're there for. Why are they looking in their first read? He, first of all, he can't, he can't shake the first read. So the first read is Matt Forte. Uh, so if their first read is the running back, that means they're not looking downfield, which bothers me. And the other thing that bothers me about the Jets is, say, it's like, and, and you'll see it today, say it's like third and 13, the Jets run this play that's like a, a screen pass for, and they gain seven yards. So... They're, they're, they're like, run a play past the 13-yard mark. So it's 4th and 5 here. Uh, let's see. Penalty on L.A. False start, 5 yards. So we got 4th and 10. Ball's on the L.A. 36. This drive has been 53 seconds long. 4 plays, 11 yards. Now the Gi- uh, Giants are up to a 93.5% chance to win this game. We have 2 and 10 left in the 4th quarter. Let's see what happens here. And uh, the first touchdown for the we'll recap the scoring plays. First touchdown for the Rams came on a Tavon Austin pass from Case Keenum, ten yards. The extra point was good. Okay, LA calls a timeout with two oh six left to go. Go to commercial probably. So uh, the scoring plays a Tavon Austin pass from Case Keenum, ten yards. Extra point is good. That makes it 7-0 L.A. Then there was a Greg Zerillion, I don't know how to say his last name, 36-yard field goal, made it 10-0 L.A. at the end of the first quarter. Second quarter, Giants scored on a Robbie Gold. He's their new kicker, signed uh, Friday, I think. (laughs) And someone said that Robbie Gold was the only kicker available with, uh, he was the only kicker available and with a, a valid passport. Someone made a joke. Obviously, that's a joke, but... Robbie Gold made a 29-yard field goal, made it uh, Giants 3, L.A. 10. Next one, the next touchdown was, as I was driving here, Case Keenum pass was intercepted by Landon Collins, safety, for a 44-yard touchdown reception. That is one run that you guys should really check out and see that, if I can find that on Twitter real quick. Um, He, I didn't see it yet, but he shaked and baked all the way through the line here for a touchdown. Let's skip this here. Here it is. Here's the play call. NFL Network. Right through the hands of Austin and picked off on the ricochet by Landon Collins. And Collins has the... Oh, sorry. His first of the year, breaking one tackle after another. And he's got some blockers ahead like Jenkins and Casillas. And he's inside the five and into the end zone. Touchdown. Now a huge mistake by Tavon Austin. This ball is well thrown by Case Keenum. Collins playing center field gets the rebound here. And <laughs> Kevin, this is a return for the ages. 
ball right through his hands. And look at Collins break one tackle there. He's going to get away from quick there. That's two he makes. Three more guys fly by. Reversing his field now. Makes another guy miss. And this is where it really gets fun. Inside the 10-yard line, he's got a convoy of blockers. Refuses to go down there. Gets some help. He scores. Sign him up to be a running back, please. I mean, you got to watch that play. That was amazing. That was an amazing run. That was an amazing run for him. And then uh, that made it 10-10. Uh, then here we are at 17-10 after Rashad Jennings' one-yard rush. The gold extra point is good. Zach Tiasi in the long snapper. Brad Wing the holder. And here we are, 17-10, with a minute and 57 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Rams have the ball. We're at the two-minute warning. Let's see where we are on the field. About the 50-yard line, it looks like, from this little graphic. Okay, maybe the 49. Yeah, Giants 49. First and 10. This drive has been five plays, 26 yards, uh, 106 on the clock for this drive. Now, in terms of uh, possession, the Rams kind of have uh, dominated today's uh, uh, game of possession with 33 minutes for holding the ball, and the Giants have uh, 24 minutes of holding the ball. However, three turnovers might and probably will come back to bite them because just look at it. If if Landon Collins did not make that amazing play, the score would be 10-10, and the Rams would be driving for the win right now. A field goal would win it. All right, so uh, penalties, uh, let's see. Rams have been penalized eight times for 43 yards. Giants, three for 33. What else? The so passing yards per pass, pretty even. Quarterbacks are pretty even in, t you know, in terms of yardage. Yards per play, pretty even. Total drives, even. Total yards. Rams have 100 more, 101 more yards than the Giants. And, and a better third down efficiency. So uh, the the story, the catalyst of this game, is in fact the Landon Collins uh, interview, uh, interview, interception. Okay, now here we here we go. This is this is a game. Oh, the Giants are uh, have uh, have had struggles last year finishing games. So Case Keenum passing complete deep right to uh, P. Cooper, to, to wide receiver Cooper. Uh, he had just I think completed a pass to Kenny Britt. Kenny Britt is a uh, Rutgers graduate. So he's a Jersey guy, Kenny Britt, playing for the Rams. I had interviewed his teammate, uh, Brian Leonard, at an event. He said it was so cool when he got drafted to join Kenny Britt in L.A., just have like a little buddy, a friend uh, on the sidelines, which is pretty cool. Uh, he also, uh, Leonard, did support uh, the Rams' move to L.A. Uh, he said because they couldn't sell out games in St. Louis. So Case Keenum passed short middle to Kendricks. The Giants 20 for 6 yards. Jonathan Hankins on the stop. Lance Kendricks has 7 receptions for 55 yards. He's their tight end. Number 88 on your screen. 3rd and 4. 1st and 10. No huddle. Shotgun pass to Benjamin Cunningham. Oh, they're on the Giants 15. That was a 5-yard pass. They are in the red zone. The Rams are in the red zone. I'll tell you right now, if uh, this game goes into overtime... I'm going to try and get home and watch this, watch the end of this. But uh, Benjamin Cunningham, that was his first reception of the game, running back. One reception for five yards, and that was it. They need a touchdown here. They cannot settle for a field goal with a minute and 12, one minute left in the game. 
Case Keenum pass incomplete. He's 32 for 51 on the day. Could he add another touchdown? Second and 10 on the Giants, 15. This drive has been 10 plays, 60 yards, 2 minutes and 2 seconds long. Now, JPP was on the sidelines earlier trying to rally the, the crowd uh, for, uh, you know, on a third down. He was trying to rally the crowd behind the bench to, to make some noise. And I'm not sure if it was because they're supporting the Rams there in, in London, but uh, pretty much there was no response from the crowd. Maybe they don't get it. Maybe they don't understand exactly. That's like us trying to watch soccer, I guess. I don't know, but they uh, they didn't. They And that was a report from... Uh, Howard Cross on the sidelines. They they didn't react to JPP's uh, call for noise. So we're looking at another. Here it is, third down situation. On the Giants 15 in the red zone here. Timeout. Giants call a timeout with 50 seconds. Giants call a timeout with 50 seconds. Okay, so we're the situation is third and 10 on the 15, uh, which means they need to get to the 5. So you got to draw up a play. That's going to get you to the five-yard line, or to the four-yard line. I don't think you, you take an end zone shot here. You're in four-down territory, though. So, you know, if you're the coach, what are you guys doing here? I am not taking an end zone shot. I would wait till fourth down to do that. Because the closer you get to the goal line, the harder it is to complete a pass. If you ask any quarterback, because the field is shorter. The field of play is shorter. There's not much room to work with, so that makes sense. And the, the more you scrunch a defense of 11 men, the less area you have to make a completion. So we're looking at third and 10 in the red zone. Uh, ESPN is predicting a win probability of 83.2% for the Giants. So ESPN... Statcast is thinking that the Giants can pull this one off. The Giants need to stop here. And what are people saying uh, online? They, they said there. Uh, some guy just said that on ESPN's Facebook that Robbie Gold is five years younger. Uh, Josh Brown is gone, and they're surprised Chicago let Gold go. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Chicago has its own problems over there with uh, their quarterback. And, uh, oh, here it is, interception. Dominique rogers Camardi at the Giants, you know, in, in the end zone. Touchback. Case Keenum picked off for the fourth time today. They did take an end zone shot. No, I don't think that was the right move. I think they should have played for the first down first. And Eli Manning takes a kneel. Rams have one timeout left. Are they going to take it? Probably. So we're looking at a Giants 17-10, 99.9% win in uh, in uh, London. Someone said on uh, I can't read the, your your name your handle, but he said Case Keenum lofted it. I'm not sure why it wasn't fourth down yet. I <laughs> would. I think that's going to come back to bite. That was a, that was a bad coaching move. Giants are running the clock out now. They have a hundred percent chance to win. 
End of the fourth quarter, the Giants take one from the Los Angeles Rams in London. Uh, Eli Manning finishes with 196 yards. Rashad Jennings, a touchdown. Victor Cruz, a touchdown. The big story of the day will be the Giants' defense. Rodgers Camardi coming up big with two interceptions in important time. Uh, JPP also making some big stops uh, defensively. And uh, the, and Landon Collins, by far, is my star of the game, MVP of the game, with that incredible run. If you guys haven't seen it, please Google it. That was an incredible run. And the Giants uh, locked one up. So Giants are going to have a victory Monday. Mm, and then I don't know if they do what the Jets do, but sweats, sweats on a plane, on the plane. That's a long, long flight back from London. But they could feel happy because the Giants just pulled one out. Now the next game for the Giants, I might be covering. I might be at the stadium covering it live, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but the next game for the Giants is going to be so, uh, Sunday, November 6th versus the Eagles. Looks like they have a bye week next week then. So the Giants' next game is Sunday, November 6th versus the Eagles. It's a 1 o'clock game. So uh, that that's for the Giants. Now I'm going to try and hustle home now to get to the Jets and watch the Jets kick off. Like I said, I, I think I like the Jets in this game, everybody. So I, my final score for the Jet game is going to be 17-14. Uh, Geno Smith, uh, who knows? Who knows? But we'll see. We'll see what happens with the Jets. So I'm just kind of stalling now. So thanks for listening. I hope my play-by-play was okay. That was the first time I've ever really done that. And it's real hard when you're not watching it and you're watching, like, graphics on a screen. Uh, so uh, if you guys, thanks for checking me out on, on Periscope. Uh, at Coach McCartan on Periscope, also at Coach McCartan on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan, no space there. Also, you guys can check out my YouTube channel. If you go to YouTube and put in the search bar, you can just uh, type in Coach space M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I have about 70 videos with uh, everybody from, you know, guys trying to make teams to Hall of Famers, Lawrence Taylor, Joe Namath, uh, you know, different teams, uh, Patriots, Steelers, uh, Titans, Giants, Jets, Yankees, Mets, old, new. There's something you can find something on there. Someone just commented to me yesterday that my Rick Sarone interview made them laugh. Um, also, I have my website, prosportsrundown.com. I try to take a different angle, other than you know, if you go on Twitter during a game, it's like who can tweet out first that the DRC made an interception. So I try to take a different angle, rather than the play-by-play tweets and you know, because. If you're following a bunch of Giants beat writers, you know, you're going to see that seven times over as many, you know, everybody's tweeting it. So uh, on here, I've had some special guests. I'm going to try and get uh, a very special guest next week. I'm going to keep that under wraps. And uh, and, and uh, that's it. So thanks for hanging with me, guys. Today, uh, it's uh, 1238. We went over by 40 minutes, but that's okay. That's okay. I hope my play-by-play uh, was good enough. I hope that kept you guys interested. And uh, that's it. That's a wrap. So let me get home and watch the Jets. Uh, be safe. Happy super, uh, football week seven Sunday. I'll see you guys next week at 11 o'clock on WRPR. Follow me on Twitter at Coach McCartan. That's at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. To find my work on YouTube and SoundCloud, search with no spaces Coach McCartan. Subscribe yourself so you don't have trouble finding it in the future. That's it for today, everybody. Listen live next Sunday, 1.30 to 2.30 p.m.